Welcome to In Conversation. I'm Diana Campos. In Conversation features Dean Michael Horswell and faculty from Florida Atlantic University's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters, talking about research and creative activities that span the arts, humanities, and social sciences. Working in the field is very much a studio art. For Dr. Brian McConnell, art and archaeology are more similar than one might suppose. It's just like being a sculptor. It's just like being a painter. It's just like doing the things in a studio context. You have to know tools. You have to know the materials. You have to know where you want to go with them. Dr. McConnell is an archaeologist, author, and professor of art history and classical archaeology in FAU's Department of Visual Arts and Art History. He contextualizes the interaction of Western colonies and indigenous peoples in Sicily. Professor McConnell's 2015 monograph for the University of Palermo examines wall illustrations heralding the rise of the sickle culture. And he is our guest for this edition of In Conversation. He joined Dean Horswell in a virtual meeting in April of 2020. Welcome, Dr. McConnell, to this special taping of In Conversation, which we're doing under the remote work rules and restraints of the COVID-19 crisis. And so while we're usually in our regular studio space at FAU, today you and I are talking across the WebEx technologies that we're all getting to know uh, very well in this new context. And I wanted to thank Dr. Kevin Petrick and his whole crew for continuing to produce the show, even under these very difficult circumstances. So how are you holding up during this pandemic, Dr. McConnell? Pretty well. I'm very glad to be here with you, and I really appreciate all the work that's been done to keep us connected. It's amazing that we are able to continue to function under these circumstances. Yeah, I have to hand it to you and the other faculty who have really transitioned our teaching to this remote mode and keep our students learning and advancing in their degrees. And so thank you and all your colleagues for what you're doing. So it's, it's hard to believe that it's almost been a year since you and I were actually at your archaeological dig site in Sicily, Italy. You and I had hosted FAU President Kelly and his special guests at the site where we were able to observe your work and the work of your students. It was an amazing experience for me and for all of our guests. And so I'm so excited today to get a, a bit of an update and, and to hear more about the research that you've undertaken at the site in Sicily. But before we get into that, I, I know our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about your career. I was thinking maybe you could tell us you know, exactly what is a classical archaeologist? What defines that segment of the discipline? And how did you get into this field? First of all, let me say it was a great opportunity to have you, President Kelly, his family, and all of the supporters of FAU there at Pali K. I find it a kind of fulfillment because being out there, being able to work at the site, represents a long time of the development of a professional career. My interest in archaeology goes back to middle school when I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and went to special lectures that they had organized for kids there. You couldn't go to one of those lectures as an adult without a kid with you. And they brought in big names in the field. It's all about classical archaeology. And classical archaeology is actually the interest in the civilizations of the Mediterranean. The word classical can be used in many ways. Classical has a, a sense of prestige to it. In a technical sense, it refers to Greek civilization in the 5th century B.C., 
in a wider sense, it includes all of those cultures of the ancient Mediterranean and Europe and the Middle East, which have been part of, uh, we might say, the march of Western civilization. That is growing global in these as time goes on and as we understand the world better. But when you talk about classical archaeology, you're talking about that. There is an interest in art and an architecture that goes along with classical archaeology. The field of art history actually grew out of classical archaeology. Classical archaeology was there first. And the neat thing about the study of Greek and Roman civilizations and all of the other cultures that interacted with them is that you deal with a variety of things that are divided in academic disciplines today. You study ancient language and literature. You study history. You study material culture. You study art. You study architecture. You study all of those things. Classical archaeology is the original interdisciplinary science. And I use the term science in the broadest sense of the word. I've I was trained professionally after graduate school in Italy, and the word scienza there means, means knowledge more than anything else. So my interest in classical archaeology goes back to when I was young. I was inspired by that. I went on archaeological excavations in Illinois. And when I got to college, thinking that this was really interesting, I really thought that I was going to go into mathematics or chemistry. But almost by chance in full-term freshman year, I ended up in a Bronze Age archaeology course in the classics department of the college that I attended. The Mediterranean Bronze Age, and particularly the Bronze Age of the Aegean, is the world that inspired the poetry of Homer. It talks about all of the, how should we say, the context from which those epic poems came and from which Greek civilization, as we know it, emerged. So that got me, and by the spring term, the light from heaven had just opened up, and I knew that that was the field for me. So both my undergraduate and my graduate degrees are in classical archaeology from classics departments. We have a classical studies program, and we do have people who are interested in these fields distributed in our other departments. Okay, well, that, that's fantastic. And I, it's always interesting to me to hear my colleagues talk about how they discovered their passion for their academic discipline. And it is often one professor or one teacher or a lecture you hear that really turns on that light bulb. And so it sounds like that's what happened to you. So let's kind of flash forward then into today's work that you're doing. And I was wondering if you could describe for our listeners this really unique site, this ancient Palike, which is in present-day Sicily, which is, you know, as most folks know, is uh, south of Italy on the on the Mediterranean's largest island. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about this site and why it is so important in archaeology today. Well, first of all, let me say that Sicily is just a wonderful place to work. It's an island in the center of the Mediterranean, but I think of it almost as a continent for all the variety of landscapes that you have there. Just about every people that traveled the Mediterranean went there, and so you find that it's a, a great nexus of things. We work in the shadow of Mount Etna, Europe's largest volcano, which is just on the other side of the plain of Catania. And our site is located literally along the fault line that separates Africa from Europe and in, in terms of the tectonic plates. When we look out over the beautiful Margie River Valley from the site, on the left, we're looking at Africa. On the right, we're looking at Europe. So it's interesting, and right along this fault line, there was an interesting phenomenon. It was called the boiling lakes in antiquity. 
what it is, is a gathering of carbon dioxide and other gases which come out of the ground in this big boiling lake, which was described in antiquity as a special phenomenon. It was the Palikoi brothers. Greek myth had it that the Palikoi were the sons of a nymph named Thalia and the god Zeus. And that Thalia, because she was afraid that Zeus's wife would do something to her boys, she hid them underground. And the boiling of the lakes, which is a fascinating geological phenomenon that we're in the process of studying, was thought to be the manifestation of these two boys that were coming back. And it became to be an oracular center. Capital cases would be decided there. And an important sanctuary of Sicily's indigenous sickle peoples developed at that location. We have been working at this location since 1995. I've been working there before I came to FAU, as a matter of fact. And the work is done under the auspices of the Sicilian regional government through its various local agencies. The Sottenense per i Beni Culturali ed Ambientali and the Parco Archeologico del Calatino. And now the Parco Archeologico di Catania. We have been discovering there uh, an incredible sequence over time that goes from the Mesolithic period through the Middle Ages. There are very few places where you can see changes in the environment, changes in the way people use the landscape over the years. And we can see that by looking at the strata and the structures that are built one on top of another. On top of this, the place is important because uh, it's a place of interaction between the indigenous sickle peoples and particularly the Greeks who settled along the coasts. And over the centuries, there's a real interaction, not a separation, but an interaction, which is in some ways analogous to the interaction between Europeans and Native Americans. In a very loose sense, I like to think of the Sickles as the Cherokee, who were perfectly adept in European ways, and who even won a case against the state of Georgia in a federal court. Well, the same thing for the Sickles. They adopted Greek architecture, and I wouldn't doubt that many Sickles actually built some of the large Greek cities that we know along the Sicilian coast. So seeing this interaction and seeing how also Palikai, uh, which we know from ancient authors who wrote about it quite extensively, Diodorus Siculus, even the Roman poet Virgil wrote about it, it grew up to be a place for social justice. And Diodorus Siculus says very tellingly that even under the Roman Empire, escaped slaves could go there and be protected from cruel masters who would have to, as he put it, uh, make assurances that the slave would be treated better and before he would be released from them. So Pelican must have had a great deal of power. I think of it as an alternative center of power too. And so, you know, because this place is the nexus of many things on a natural level, man's interaction with the landscape on a social level, the interaction between colonists and indigenous people. And simply because it's a fascinating story itself in a very beautiful setting, I think it's just a wonderful place and a fascinating place to be. Mm. So as you mentioned, you've been working there a number of years excavating. What are some of the most exciting discoveries that you and your team have uncovered at the site? Well, one of my long-term responsibilities at the site has been to study the monumental architecture. Again, we've been working there since 1995, and with the Sopra we found some monumental buildings, two stoai, or multi-purpose buildings of the sort that you find in many Greek cities, and then a very rare building, a dining hall called the Hestiatarian. 
you got to see that when you visited the site this past summer. I think that for me, our ancient architecture is a very important thing. I'll tell you this, that with the FAU group, we have been working on another area which deals with the, how should we say, the other chronological end of things with late antiquity. And we found a huge Byzantine building with an unusual deposit in the center of it, which is either, as we work in the future, going to turn out to be a very, very large kiln or perhaps a large monumental burial of the Middle Ages. You visited the site at the beginning of our season last summer. At the end of the season, we went down in a, at the plain that's below the grotto where we've been working so far, outside the limits of the park, and we did some preliminary trenching, which found that there, too, there were many structures. And thanks to a seed grant from the College of Arts and Letters, I really appreciate that. Just this past October, we were able to do a geophysical survey of the area, and we found evidence for five kilns, some of them very large, and a road system that may have organized them. We hope to go back there as soon as we can, and if we do so, we're going to perhaps discover the economic basis of the sanctuary, what kept them going. So that points very well to the future. That's fascinating. It's always been fascinating uh, to me how archaeology can uncover such nuances and life ways from so long ago just by digging up and looking at the material culture that still survives. It's amazing how you archaeologists are able to create narratives and really explain to us contemporaries the way people lived in, in the ancient past. The fact is that the world's archaeological patrimony is something that we have been given. It's not by choice. It's there. But we do have the choice as to whether or not to explore it, to protect it, to develop it. And it can tell us an awful lot. And this is true for any country around the world. I particularly have chosen to work in Sicily, and I certainly like being there. And it's an obligation, I feel, to protect as much of this evidence as we can, and we can learn a lot. To some extent, mm -hmm. when you excavate, I think of it as a game. I think of it as a, a game where I want to find out what the ground has to tell me and the ground doesn't want to tell me. And so each excavation season is sort of like going out on the field and we'll see how the game goes. That's what field archaeologists like to get their teeth into. And so it, mm -hmm. it really is an amazing thing. Right. And so when we were there, I know we were using you know, shovels and, and trowels and kind of really basic technologies, perhaps. But I also know that you have been partnering with the FAU's iSense Research Institute to experiment with more emerging technologies to assist in your work. Could you talk a little bit about that? There's a wonderful aspect of the technology that we put into archaeology that is as comprehensive as the field itself. Let me say two things. You started off by talking about traditional tools. And I have to say this, something that I learned after a long time, working in the field is very much a studio art. It's just like being a sculptor. It's just like being a painter. It's just like doing the things in a studio context. You have to know tools. You have to know the materials. You have to know where you want to go with them. And as we extend that into more recent technologies, you have the same sort of situation. With the iSense Center, we're working on a plan to be able to model the entire site by using drones and by using LIDAR, which is a new technique that has been able to 
discover many things, at least up to the level of the ground. We used geo-penetrating radar to find many things. We used magnetic surveys last fall to discover these kilns. And with these emerging technologies, what we hope to do is to be more efficient with the traditional technologies that we use later on. You'll never really know what the situation is until you dig it. But uh, ground-penetrating radar, LIDAR, geomagnetic surveying, all of these techniques can give us a sense of where to go and how to do our job better. That's really exciting. So maybe you could share with us how you involve FAU students in this project, how you've done that in the past and, and what you plan to do in the future. Well, we're very fortunate because our university has a long-term agreement with the Sicilian regional government to do work in their lands. Our current memorandum of understanding is for six years, and that permits us to do scientific work and educational activities there. And through the Education Abroad Office, we have organized annual summer excavation study abroad programs. The programs involve not only work at the site, but also trips to important sites and museums. We all went to Syracuse, for example, to get a better sense of the wider context in which our work fits. Sicily, again, is a wonderful place to go to see so many things in so many periods. And students who take the course do the field work, they develop their manual skills, they develop their sense for seeing things and anticipating things. We teach them a basic course in history and culture. We also teach them cultural resource management and the importance of law in the development of cultural heritage. And then the students will also get involved in special projects that are of their particular interest. We actually had one student last year who was given another site, so to speak, given the materials from another site to study. And the study of that town contributes to the understanding of our central sanctuary. The student actually won a number of awards, both in Florida and at the national level, from the Council of Undergraduate Research. And so we have been involved that way. We were planning to have another student work as an intern with the superintendency to learn about cultural resource law this summer. Unfortunately, that was curtailed because of the COVID-19 crisis, but it's the kind of thing that we do and will enable her to go ahead as well. Does a student have to be an archaeology major to do the program or can... Not at all. They don't have to be art from the Department of Visual Arts and Art History or Anthropology or History. Any student can come. And as a matter of fact, we've had students from other universities, the University of Florida, Boston College. We've even had last summer a 73-year-old guy from Tennessee who had an interest in antiquity and who signed up with us to take the course as a non-degree seeking student. I teach people what they need to know when they're out there. We're also very fortunate to have a collaboration with Broward College. My assistant, Dr. Kevin Cole, is a classical archaeologist, and he teaches there, and he's had students come along as well. So this is a, a wonderful complementary collaboration. That's fantastic. I really admire how you've combined your research interest, which is producing incredible results, with the curriculum for our students to give the FAU students this opportunity, these really unique opportunity to work in the field with you. And one thing that works out really well is that we've discovered these kilns. That goes well with our history of ceramics course. And I hope that some of the students who have been taking that course in particular uh, will be able to come out there and see these wonderful things 
as they come out of the ground and be part of the story themselves. So I know the COVID-19 is on everyone's mind. So how will you move forward? What kind of limitations are you facing? I understand the study abroad had to be canceled this summer, as all of our programs were. But do you expect to be able to go back next summer? I would like to go back next summer, and I'm planning on it. We have to see what's appropriate, what governmental agencies and the experts have to say about working there. The site itself is way out in the open. I know that the guards are there right now. The site has been closed like all museums and archaeological sites in Italy because of the problem, but it is quite a safe place. You can keep distance there. We have to come up with a health and safety plan, both for the university and for the Sicilian regional government. It's an important part of our agreement. I know that hospital facilities in the area are very adept to handling these things. They're as developed as what we have around here. So we'll just have to see what goes on. And if it is safe for students to go, then I would certainly encourage it. And I'll be there and making sure that everybody's okay. Well, that's great. Well, let's hope by next summer we can all be uh, traveling again. Travel is such an important part of education. And I'm very proud that in the College of Arts and Letters, these kind of study abroad opportunities are available. And I thank you and your colleagues for making it happen. Yeah, study abroad is so important because it gets us all out of kind of lethargic insularity. The world over there isn't as different as we might think, but getting out and seeing that and being part of it and widening your horizons is terribly important. And although we have these technologies today, there's nothing that substitutes direct experience. So I hope that we can get back to that as soon as possible. Well, Dr. McConnell, thank you so much for joining me today in conversation. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. You've been listening to Dr. Brian McConnell and Dean Michael Horswell of FAU's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters in conversation. They were recorded in April of 2020. In Conversation is a production of FAU's School of Communication and Multimedia Studies. I'm Diana Campos. All of us thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us for another edition of In Conversation.